What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Nothing But Sports Podcast. I'm Rahel Jaswell. This is episode 70. We've got a few things. We've got a decent amount to talk about on this week's episode. We're going to talk about the NFL changing the overtime rules. We're going to talk about the NBA, the last sprint to the postseason slash play-in. And then we're going to talk about Brian Cashman's recent comments uh, when asked about the Yankees World Series draft. Actually, we're going to start with that. Because I have to get it off my chest. We're going to talk about... So, if, for those who don't know, Brian Cashman was asked about how he felt that the Yankees have gone through this World Series drought from 2000, after winning in 2009 to now. I think this is tied now for the longest drought in the Yankees franchise history of at least not appearing in a World Series or winning a World Series. And Brian Cashman's comments were, I get really annoyed when people say that because of what Houston did in 2017. Right? Okay. So, basically, he is blaming Houston for the Yankees' World Series drought. That's how I view this. And, okay, Houston cheated in 2017. All right? Everyone knows that. There's nothing we can do about it now. But it drives me insane that the general manager, Brian Cashman, and other Yankee fans continue to stay butthurt about the Yankees losing to Houston all those years ago, five years ago, okay? Because I'm sick and tired of ignoring the obvious here, all right? Sign stealing is when the opponent will steal your pitching signs so they can hit better. So that has nothing to do with the fact that in the four games the Yankees played in Houston, okay, those four games in that 2017 series... They scored a combined of three runs. But that's the Astros' fault that they stole the signs? Or is that your ineptitude of hitting? The Yankees hit 156 in those four games in Houston. They were awful with runners in scoring position, and they put up a combined three total runs. Okay? In Game 7 of that Worlds, in Game 7 of that ALCS, they got shut out 4-0 and only had three hits. Okay? So I don't want to hear this, oh, well... The Astros cheated. That's the main reason for our World Series drought. Okay? Enough blaming them. Okay? Because, mind I mind you, there's been many playoff failures besides that Houston one. Okay? Let's throw it to 2018. In the wild, in the, um, in the divisional series against Boston. All right? They, the Yankees and Red Sox had the best records those years. All right? You lose that series 3-1. to one, Okay? Two of your three losses that year... We're at Yankee Stadium. You split the first two in Boston, and games three and four were lost at Yankee Stadium, including a game three where you got absolutely boat raced because Luis Severino didn't know what time the game started, and I think you lost like 14 to six. And then in game four, there was that late, um, that rate, that late rally that fell short. Again, only four, only one run through eight innings. So even though the Red Sox were again accused of sign-stealing, and they only did it at home, you lost two at home, okay? All right, let's throw it to 2019 now. You get the Astros again. You win game one in Houston, okay? Game two in Houston, you have a two-to-one lead thanks to a two-run bomb by Aaron Judge. Justin Verlander is out of the game, and you lose it in extras, okay? And then you lose games three and four convincingly at Yankee Stadium. This is even before the whole Altuve buzzer home run 
while he was wearing in Game 6. You lost two at Yankee Stadium that year. Okay, I don't want to hear it. And then, of course, you know, you win Game 5, but then you lose Game 6. All right? And also, throw it back to 2017. If you want to really blame something, what about Game 2? When you lost that game in the ninth inning because of poor execution on a relay throw at the end of the game, where Gary San- where there was a poor throw, Gary Sanchez couldn't get the couldn't control the ball. It popped up and he couldn't get the tag down. All right, where's the blame for that? That that that's all on Houston, right? What about the last two years, 2020 in the shortened 60 game season against the Tampa Bay Rays? You have a two to one series lead. All right, a team that owns you all year. You have them up. Two to one. A chance to go back to the ALCS and book a rematch with the weaker Houston Astros who won a game under 500 that year. And you blow it. And you lose game four and five. Because you couldn't score runs. All right? Game five, the only certain runs came from a Giancarlo Stanton solo home run. You couldn't score any runs otherwise that. Besides that. Okay? So, again, I don't want to hear. Also, last year, the flameout in Boston, 6-2 loss in the wild card game. And the momentum changed in that sixth inning when you were down 3-1 and Giancarlo Stanton hits a bomb and you execute a base running and you execute your base running in a horrible way that leads to a mistake instead of it maybe being 3-2 or 3-3 after that inning. But again, that's all on the Astros cheating in 2017, right? That has nothing to do with the fact that you hired the you um you had the horrible you hired the wrong people to coach your team. Okay, that's the main reason. Okay, it's it's all it's but that has nothing to do with it, and it's all the Astros' fault. Okay, what about before the Astros cheating scandal? What about you getting shut out at Yankee Stadium three nothing to them in the wild card game? Where's the where's the blame for that? Also. Let's not keep in mind, the Yankees haven't been all these clean princesses throughout their time here, okay? In 09, when they won the World Series, and A-Rod had that monster postseason, he was probably juiced up on steroids that year. But again, Brian Cashman, it's all on the Astros. It's not like A-Rod wasn't juiced up in 09, okay? What about the year you lost to, uh, to uh, what about in 2017, when you were accused of having the faulty headphones in the bullpen, Okay, that's just coming out now. What about that? So it's not like the Yankees have been these perfect princesses. They've had some shady stuff as well. So stop blaming Houston for your ineptitude, okay? What about your lack of ability to develop players? All right, where is the farm system, okay? The Yankees, if you take out Aaron Judge, have not developed a player that has been consistent for three seasons. Gary Sanchez was your second best, and he fell off a cliff after two really good seasons. All right, Glaber Torres, he belongs to the Cubs. You didn't. You traded for Araldis Chapman. All right, you got Zach Britton from Baltimore. You got Ottavino in a in a in the off season. You traded for CC Sabathia. Okay, uh, Luke Voigt was a diamond in the rough from the Cardinals. Gio Urshela was a diamond in the rough from the Indians. DJ Lemayhew was a diamond in the rough from the Rockies. Joey Gallo, Anthony Rizzo, they were trade dead ac- they were deadline accusations um, uh, acquisitions from this year. Um, so wh- where is where's the development? I don't I don't see any I don't see anything. Okay? And here's the thing. So 
not only that, the Yankees decide to put their money, which is what makes the Yankees, which is probably the best asset the Yankees have their money. When you can't develop players, you got to spend that money smartly. They haven't done that, okay? Giving Jacoby Ellsbury that seven-year, $150 million contract, okay? Taking on Josh Donaldson's $25 million contract when you could have used that money to go make a push and try and sign, uh, try and sign Trevor Story, okay? Paying DJ LeMahieu all this money, and we still don't have a set position for him this season. And not getting Aaron Judge's contract extension done. Whether it will get done, I don't know, but... Again, so, but again, that's all on the Astros. That's not any of your fault. And when people talk about, you know, buying World Series and stuff like that, a lot of people bring up the Dodgers. You know, oh, the Dodgers, they spend all the money, okay? But they do it smartly. And second of all, people don't realize this. In the last six years, for the last six consecutive years, the Dodgers have had a top five farm system. That 2020 World Series roster I went through, 14 of the around 13 of those 28 guys were homegrown. So that's about half the World Series roster, all right? Clayton Kershaw, Walker Bueller, Walker Bueller, Corey Seager, Kenley Jansen, Will Smith, Julio Arias, Pedro Baez, Jock Peterson, Matt Beatty, Edwin Rios, and they've also developed players who are going to be good in the future, such as Dustin May, such as Dustin May. So they can develop players. It proves that even the Big clubs like the Dodgers, who spend a lot of money, develop players. Okay, the Yankees have not done that. They have what? What pitcher have they developed outside of Luis Severino, who had a good half season because he had a horrible second half of the year, and then he's got injured since then, and he hasn't pitched much. Okay, I mean, I'll wait. Tanaka, he didn't develop him. He came from Japan. Okay, you didn't develop CC Sabathia. All right, you. You, you got Garrett Cole. You got James Paxton, okay? You tried to develop and trade for Andrew Heaney. That didn't work. You tried to trade for Sonny Gray. That didn't work. So where's the accountability for your mistakes? You can't keep blaming the Astros, all right? That was one year in this whole time period. It makes no sense to me, all right? And now even the move recently, trading Luke Voigt for a guy we might not see play Ever in the major leagues. All right. Who's going to trading Gary Sanchez, which I'm okay with, but having no backup plan. So I guess Kyle Higashioka is the day one starter. And the other catcher you got from the Royals has not played much and is now hurt. Where's the backup plan? Where's the insurance? You know, oh, we're going to get this guy and then we're going to ship Gary Sanchez off. Maybe you could have done that instead of now being stuck in a situation where you don't have a catcher. You don't have a number two pitcher. Because Severino's, uh, Domingo Herman's injured. Severino's already experiencing some tightness. I mean, he's pitching today, actually. But I don't trust him to be a number two. So you're really lacking a number two pitcher outside of Garrett Cole. You don't have a catcher. And the roster is pretty much the same. You're just running back the same thing since 2017. Over and over and over and over again. Expecting a different result. That is the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting a different result. How was this Yankee team any different than last year? Okay, yes, you've got Josh Donaldson in there. And Josh Donaldson will probably hit a couple more home runs, but he's not going to have a better batting average than Gio Urshela. I'll tell you that much. So is there a huge improvement here? 
No, when Boston has gotten better with Trevor Story, Tampa's going to be Tampa. The Blue Jays got much better in the offseason. And our big move is, oh, we're going to move Glaber back to second base, and all of a sudden that's going to fix him, all right? A lot of Glaber's garb, brilliant 2019 numbers came against the garbage Baltimore Orioles. Out of his 34 home runs, 20, I think around 22 of them came against Baltimore. So you take that out, that's 12. So even his numbers in the 2019 season are a little flawed. So I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Cashman, I don't get it. We're gonna, I'm going to move on before I lose my voice. But anyway, the Yankee season starts Thursday against Boston. I'm expecting another disappointing season. And Cashman keep doing the same thing, running it back over and over again. And we're going to be right back here sitting next year. All right? While their teams like... The Rays and other guys are developing someone, people. You know, the Rays even develop guys like a Rosarena, but the Yankees can't do that. Okay, let's move on now to something a little more bright. The NFL has finally decided to change the overtime rules. It's been a long time coming, so now both teams get the chance to possess the ball. If both teams score, then I believe it's then just next team to score wins. So, for example, in that uh, unbelievable divisional game between the Chiefs and the Bills, Josh Allen would have gotten the, gotten the ball back, and let's say they probably go down and score, then Patrick Mahomes would have got the ball back, and if Buffalo couldn't stop him, then they would win the game. So at least you're giving a de- the defense another chance to stop the opposition, and you're giving both quarterbacks the chance to touch the ball, which I think is really awesome, because in Super Bowl 50, in Super Bowl 51, we never got to see Matt Ryan and the Falcons touch the ball in the Super Bowl. Um, you know, that was... That was one thing. Uh, we never got to see Drew Brees touch the ball when they lost to um, when they lost to Minnesota in that playoff game. You know, obviously, we never got to see Patrick Mahomes get the ball back against Brady in the AFC Championship game. We never got to see Josh Allen this year get the ball back against Mahomes in the divisional round. So I'm all for it. If let the let you know give give the other offense another chance, and then if the defense stops them. Okay, fair enough. Both teams have got a chance. So now, not as much rides on the flip of a coin. But, you know, some people can argue, oh, that makes it more dramatic, the coin flip. But still, now a lot, now, still. So it's good. I, I, I think it's a long time coming. A lot of defense, defensive players are probably not going to like this because now they got to go back on the field and it's predicated uh, in order to favor the offense. But hey, that's just in the direction the, the NFL is moving. It's moving it toward a more passing league, a more crazy offense. It's moving less away from the defense comes first. It's more now the offense comes first and then the defense for the most part. Maybe maybe this year we can make the argument because the Rams defense helped the, the offense. But it's more about now the offense is being out there and winning games than it is the defense. So, hey, I'm all for it. Um... Again, like I said, most guys are not gonna. Most defensive guys are not gonna like it. Um, I'm cool with them not adopting the college overtime rule set. But yeah, this was a landslide. It was 29 to three in the votes. So I'm I'm all for it. Hey, let's go. I mean, there's nothing really much to say about it. That one was pretty quick. We're gonna move on um, from that talk right now. But hey, you let let the best players play. Let them see more. Uh, let them see more. So. Let's move on now to the um, to the La- or not the Lakers, but let's talk about the NBA. So the season is the regular season 
is winding down. Uh, there's five more games left in the regular season, and it's uh, it's really close. The Eastern Conference race is unbelievably close. Obviously, you have the the uh, Western Conference race for the um for the plans. Like I said, in the East, the top four teams continue to be shuffling around and around between Boston, Miami, Brook not Brook Boston, Miami, Philly, and Milwaukee. Um, so who knows who's going to get the number one seed there? All right. So let's talk about the Lake. Let's talk about the West playing. All right. Let's talk about the Lakers. So the Lakers take a fat, stinky L last night. 114-111. LeBron airballs the game time uh, shot to send it to overtime. And that is it. The Lakers are done. D-O-N-E. Pull the plug. Get ready for next season. Cancun on three. One, two, three. Cancun. It's done. All right. And people are like, Looking at me like, oh, wait, why are the Lakers done? Hey, they're only one game out from the Spurs, and they got five to play. Well, technically, you're, you're, they're two games out because the Spurs hold the tiebreaker against them. Also, look at the Lakers' upcoming schedule. The Lakers had a, even with Anthony Davis back, they couldn't beat the Pelicans, okay? Tomorrow, they get the Nuggets. Then they get the Suns. Then they get the Warriors, who even without Steph Curry are still pretty good are still more than capable of beating them if they have Draymond and Clay. Then you get OKC who's a win, and then you get the Nuggets again. So of those five games, I only see the Lakers probably winning at best like two of them. Maybe I'll give them the win over the Warriors if the Warriors are not healthy. I don't see them being Denver tomorrow or the last game of the season if Denver plays everyone, and they're probably going to because they're they're trying to avoid getting into the play-ins. And they definitely ain't beating Phoenix now that Chris Paul is back and Devin Booker is playing like that. So that's number one. Number two, you would have to have the Spurs drop at least two. So you would have to win out and have the Spurs drop at least two or Lakers have to go four and one or something to make up the gap. They have to drop. They have the Spurs tomorrow. I mean, the, the Trailblazers tomorrow, which should be a gimme win. Okay. And they have they have the Blazers, so that's a gimme win. All right, they have the um, and then they have the uh, the Warriors who are injured. They have Denver, the Timberwolves, and the Spurs and the Mavericks. So actually, looking at this, this is a lot harder than I um than I looked at first. But the main problem for the Lakers is you can't guarantee that the Lakers are going to lock any of these games up because they're probably going to lose to Oklahoma City with how tough their thing their, uh, with how inconsistent they've been. Their only hope was beating the Pels last night and having the Pels drop to one game below them so they can also hope to get some losses from that team. But I think it's done, man. I think it's done because the Lakers are going to have to win at least four of these games. Uh, bargaining an ap- epic collapse from the Spurs. But I can honestly see the Lu- Lakers losing out. I really can. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, LeBron James is still probably going to get the scoring title, so good for him. And people keep asking the question, what's wrong with the Lakers? And here's what I'm going to tell you, okay? So, because even when the big three plays, Russ, AD, and LeBron, they're only 11 and 10. They're one game above 500. And people are like, oh, why are they turning the ball over? Why are they playing such poor defense? Well, the main reason is it's just a lack of chemistry. They just haven't had enough games together to figure it out. Even look at my LeBron's first year in Miami with Chris Bosh and D Wade. All right. 
that when they collapsed in the finals, they almost took a full season. They pretty much took a full year to figure out the chemistry, and then D-Wade said, yo, LeBron, it's your team, and then they went back-to-back finals, okay? But even the first year I think LeBron was in Miami, they started out like 9 and t- like 10 and 10. So they also struggled in the first 20 games of the regular season. Even this year, Milwaukee struggled in the first like 20. Even when Milwaukee got Drew last year, it took a little bit to get the chemistry. So even even keep in mind the year before, or I mean way back in 2017 when the Warriors first got Durant, they lost the first couple games. It took a couple games to get the chemistry. So you, so no matter how good the team, and again, we talk about how important chemistry is. We saw the lack of chemistry in, in the bubble with the Clippers and how much that came back to haunt them. And we saw how well the Lakers played in the bubble because of their chemistry, because they played as many games, because they played mostly every game together with a consistent roster. This year, the Lakers have had to circulate so many different lineups. In and out, one day Dwight's in there, then it's Austin Reeves, Melo's in and out of the starting lineup, Malik Monk is in and out of the starting lineup, okay? So, it, the, the, just the chemistry is all off. It, it really is, and I know LeBron and Westbrook have had more time to get it together, but with AD in there, it's, it's also really tough, because then Russ also has to take a step back, and then it just... Because they look at times like they did last night, they look really good where Russ had that spurt of scoring like eight straight points and then the last just four minutes, they completely tighten up. They tighten up. So you think, you look, a lot of bad turnovers, that's due to a lack of chemistry because they don't know which way people are cutting, what they're doing. A lot of blown coverages on defense, that's lack of communication. So that's also chemistry because they don't know, hey, you're shifting there, you're switching there, I'll go switch here. So... What I don't know what Lakers fans expected. So I think this season is done. I honestly don't think even if they get to the play-ins, I don't see them beating New Orleans. Um, because the all the excuse was wait till we get AD back. Well, AD was back and AD looked good. He had twenty three and ten, but just down the stretch, you could see them tighten up. You can see it. AD missed two free throws, and again, I know LeBron James is probably going to get a lot of flack. For miss for completely airballing that game tying shot, but that was a really clunky possession. He had to ball fake, pump fake like three times. Credit to the Pelicans; they knew exactly where that ball was going and what position LeBron wanted it, wanted to shoot it in. So they made sure he couldn't get that chance. He had to pump fake like three times. Malik Monk held the ball for like four seconds, and the shot was way short, which shows LeBron James probably felt some sort of fatigue. Okay, and you can't blame him. He's thirty. Seven years old in his 19th season, even on one turnaround jumper, he um he was way short. He barely hit rim. Okay, that's a sign of fatigue, especially considering how intense he went in the third quarter when he scored 21 of 21 points in the third quarter. He dove into the stands, third uh, third row into the stands, and people are and the main reason again why the Lakers thought they could still win even though LeBron was getting older was because. They felt like at this point in the re, in the sort of LeBron AD era that AD would step up and become the best player on the team and LeBron could still do his thing and take over when he needed to, but he could take more time off. Instead, LeBron is having to play accelerated 39-40 minutes because AD has not been in the lineup. And right now, it's his first game back, so he's just not confident enough. So this whole season has been an absolute clutter um, for the Lakers. The roster, like I said from the start... 
it's just been so clunky. They haven't got uh, much chemistry going. So maybe next year they can figure it out, even with Westbrook. But as of now, it's time to pull the plug. The Pelicans have pretty much cemented themselves with the nine spot. But yeah, I was not even. A, I'm not a Lakers fan, and the way they played in those last four minutes just made me want to throw up. Like it was so bad. So I could imagine how Laker Nation and the Crypto Arena felt watching those last four minutes because they literally had every single chance. The Pelicans tried to give that game away at the end, and it was literally just watching a train wreck in slow motion. It was like almost like, oh my God, Pelicans, can you make a shot? Just put us out of our misery. But the Lakers just couldn't. You could see them tense up. You can see when a team tenses up, and that's exactly what happened. Okay, enough about the Lakers. I want to talk about the MVP race, all right? Because obviously you have the race for the scoring title, but you have the race for MVP, okay? Who is league MVP? Is it Nikola Jokic, DeMar DeRozan, LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, and maybe um, maybe even Devin Booker? My MVP of the league is Giannis Antetokounmpo, the Greek freak. Giannis Antetokounmpo has been absolutely phenomenal this season. He deserves the league MVP. And people who are going to say no, what did he do? Look within the last two games, what he did against the 76ers and Joel Embiid, where he had 42 points and he blocked Embiid at the buzzer. And what did he do against Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets? He had like, he had 44 points, 12 boards, and he hit that, and he hit that step back three after he bricked a wide open one to send them to overtime. Oh, and by the way, he did that against Brooklyn when his star, when his co-star Chris Middleton was was ejected with five minutes to play. The Nets won on an 8-0 run, and Giannis did his thing. He made, and he also a man who's been heavily criticized for not making his free throws made the two free throws down the stretch. Give him the MVP. <clears throat> I don't know why people don't tend to give Giannis the accolades. That he deserves. I mean, the man is constantly balling out, and people always say, oh, Russell Westbrook is the hardest playing player in, in the NBA. He plays 100% full possession. No, he doesn't. He doesn't play defense. Giannis Antetokounmpo is the hardest playing player, and it's not even close. He gives his full effort on offense and defense. Notice how Giannis, unlike these other NBA players, is not afraid to get posterized, because he doesn't care about that. He will go back and try and block every single shot. And even... And I thought people would finally give him the accolades about what after what he did last year. But all I've been hearing from these these NBA media members and people is, oh, well, the only reason they won was because Kevin Durant's foot was on the line. His toe was on the line. If that happens, they get eliminated, and we're not talking about this. Okay, that's true. Well, I'll raise a counterpoint to you. In every single NBA championship or run to the finals, you have to get luck at some point. The 2019 Toronto Raptors, they got that lucky Game 7 bounce against Kawhi, and then, you know, they got lucky they that they had to face a banged-up Golden State team, okay? But no one seems to talk about that Kawhi Leonard shot being, being lucky. But when Giannis does something, they always refer to Kevin Durant's foot being on the line, okay? I mean, that's number one. What about the Warriors when the Rockets missed 27 consecutive three-pointers that were wide open, okay? No one talks about that because the Warriors didn't do much on them defensively. The Rockets just decided to yak up them threes and brick that. Why does no one talk about that, okay? So, I mean, you can go through almost every single championship run 
and see at some point where a team got lucky. 2015 Golden State. They were down to uh, Kyrie get, goes down. And they, all of a sudden they go down 2-1 to one and they put in Iguodala in that game three and they find something and they're like, okay, let's put him in there. All right. If Kyrie doesn't go down, that's a whole different story. All right. Again, that's a little luck that goes the way of Golden State. So again, this mantra of, you know, Kevin Durant's foot was on the line. Yes, it was. But again, every team needs luck. What about when Jordan won his championships? There was that jump ball against the Utah Jazz that the Bulls that the Jazz actually won, but the Bulls were able to get back, come down and hit a three, and there's like a five-point swing there. And Jordan has said in the last dance that that changed the momentum of the series. So, again, but again, that none of that gets recognized. It only gets brought up when Giannis is doing well because the NBA media doesn't want to admit when he would, don't want to admit that they were wrong about him. Okay? Even in, even go to, any other sport, go to baseball, football, hockey, any sport, you will find that the person or team that won got some sort of luck that went their way to win the championship, okay? And also, even though they won that series, they still had to go through Atlanta, okay? And then in the finals, they had to still go through a fully healthy Phoenix team, and what did Giannis do in game six? He dropped 50 points, 14 boards, and had four blocks. He did everything on a night where his two superstars, other guys, Drew Middleton or Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, didn't do anything. He shut the door on it, but and he made 17 of 19 free throws. But again, no one will recognize that because it's always, oh, Kevin Durant's foot was on the line. He has done the same thing this season that he has always done, okay? He's done Everything possible for the Bucs. He's been their best offensive player, okay? He's been their best passer. I mean, maybe you can say Drew Holiday is now their best defender, but Giannis is probably one of their better rim protectors up there. So he does everything for him. I mean, look how bad they were on the defensive side of the basketball last night when he didn't play. They gave up 159 points. So just his presence alone there impacts the game. I think if you take any of those guys out, if you take Giannis Antetokounmpo out of Milwaukee, I think that has the biggest impact. Yes, I do believe that. I do believe even if you take out Joel Embiid, the impact is not as drastic as Giannis in Milwaukee is because the because the the um the Sixers have still been able to win games when Embiid and Harden don't play. They may be able to win games when Jokic doesn't play. You see Milwaukee last night without Giannis. Yikes! So for me, Giannis Antetokounmpo is the league MVP. But again, they're probably not going to give it to him. So even last, even the year when he won the MVP, they're all like, well, LeBron James should have won it. I mean, LeBron, Giannis had all the better stats, okay? And this year, Giannis has a better PER, which is player efficiency rating, than all of them way combined. I think LeBron is in the 20s, the high 20s, and Bede is in the high 20s, and Giannis is, and Jokic is, I think, in the high 20s. Giannis is somewhere in the 30s. Giannis is like 32 or 33. He has the highest PER, player efficiency rating, of any player in the league. So for me, that deserves league MVP mentions. He's also probably, again, going to be first team all defense. You cannot say that any of those guys that are also in that MVP discussion compared defensively to Giannis Antetokounmpo. He's the best defender by far of all of them. And he is one of, he's up, and he and Joel Embiid are probably the two, the two better uh, efficient scorers there. 
But he does it efficiently now that he's knocking down his free throws. So, to me, it's not a question that Giannis is the league MVP, especially considering what he did against another MVP candidate and contender in the East, Joel Embiid, and make and against Kevin Durant, who many consider the best player in the world, and Kyrie, who those two together are considered the greatest offensive duo of all time as far as pure scoring goes. So, yeah, he's my MVP. Anyway, that is it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening, and enjoy the Final Four tonight. I didn't do a predictions for him because I honestly can't I can't be bothered to... <laughs> I mean, I honestly don't... Like, there's no point doing a prediction because... And just go the opposite way. But I'm pulling for North Carolina to upset Duke and the Kansas Villanova game. I'm just hoping for a good one. Anyway, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will see you again hopefully next week.